The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome to another episode here at the uh, Pit Bar. I should say, I'm getting tired here, but um, I'm going to say this one more time. Uh, oh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Kick Pod Podcast, the podcast dojo for inspirational martial arts talk. I am your host, TJ Williams, fourth degree black belt of the Chuck Norris system, on a quest to be promoted to fifth degree soon. So I'm getting keep my eyes open on emails from the UFAF organization. So definitely I'll give everybody a heads up on that um, as um, I get through the month or get through the months. Right, so, of course, uh, this is a episode of... Um, uh, describing my martial arts journey, discussing and analyzing martial arts-based subjects, and highlighting individuals involved in martial arts of all styles, past, present, and future. And for those who just joined me for the first time, this is a pre-recorded episode. So whatever I talk about in this episode is either done past or it's coming up. And right now we have finally reached February. And according to Groundhog's Day, we only got six weeks left of snow or so they say so i mean within that six weeks we might get another blizzard but i hope not right? and of course we already had to did um the deep freeze snow or deep freeze weather which is bad that's my kryptonite i hate the cold i, I need heat so hopefully that comes within six weeks right? so of course uh we're, we're moving along pretty much in 2023 so it'd probably be summer before you know it all right so enough of that let me introduce to you my uh, guest for um this episode of course, he is also from Western New York as well as I am. Of course, he's from Buffalo, New York, and he's been training in martial arts for 40 years. So that's at least 14 um, years under, or I'm pretty much 14 years under him, and uh, definitely, but that's a good accomplishment. Of course, I'm um, training in um, Shotokan when he um, was at um, University of Rochester, and also trained in Ish- Ishiru in, 20, in 2001 and attained a six-degree black belt in that style in 2021 and holds a second-degree black belt in American Kempo, as well as trained in other varieties of martial arts styles. Lastly, he has um, created his own style, that which is derived from Ishiru, uh, the Musuchi Do. Got it. Mus- Mus- <laughs> yeah, I'll let him explain that, but um, yeah. He created that style, and then, of course, he got his own dojo in 2022. And also, here's something interesting. For those who are interested in cosplay, he is uh, the executive um, director and CEO of the Superhero Alliance, which is um, very big around this area. But if you go to Comic-Cons or if you're looking for some fun for the birthday parties, all right, this is probably the guy that you want to um, go to. Uh, and also, lastly... Yeah, if you're also going to be attending the Buffalo Niagara Falls Martial Arts Festival, he will be a guest at the um, festival. So I'd like everybody to introduce to you um, Bill Reynolds. So he'd agree to uh, take his time to uh, be on the show. Uh, how are we doing there, Bill? All right. Wow. What an introduction. Thank you very much. 
yeah i mean really i had to do something big so um of course uh how are you doing so far great uh feeling good i i was just before we uh started this recording i was working on a book that hopefully will be all set to uh publish uh, sometime this week if not definitely this month oh awesome it seemed like you're like among the guests that i talked to like that has like books going out i mean i know couple of people that um I talked to and like they have books uh, of course um one thing one person I can uh, think of um Andrea Harkins yeah she has books going out I don't know if you're familiar with her but um she also has a podcast as well and she does like a morning show called the Java Buzz with um three other ladies so if you ever have a chance to wake or watch it around nine o'clock um yes yeah, her and um three ladies kind of talk about inspirational um like quotes like mostly not martial arts related but uh mostly uh yeah life ex life experience. Right. Yeah. All right. So this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna take us back in time, like before martial arts enter your life. So the first question would be. Who were you before martial arts? Oh, I was a 18 year old kid. Uh, and uh, I guess, interesting enough, uh, for me, for martial arts, uh, uh, being Asian, it, it seemed like people assumed that I was trained in it. Um, and of, of all the possible uh, racially uh, prejudiced uh, things they could think, I guess that one was a beneficial one for me. Uh, that people would be afraid to approach me, but I, I had not trained. That was something I was uh, a, a only child with a single parent mother and uh, the martial arts was nothing that she uh, wanted me to be a part of. So I didn't really get involved with it until I went away to college. Oh, amazing. I, and when you talk about people assume that you knew martial arts based on your um being Asian, I mean, usually I was talking to my students, like I tell them like, you know, you should go with assumption. Well, not assumption, but you should go with assurance. I mean, I, you want to stay away from a, assumption. You want you want to be sure of if you know what you're doing. You can't think what you're doing because you might be wrong. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I kind of going over with my students. You know, I want them to be uh, assurance of what's going on. And if they are not sure, they ask questions so they are on point. Mm. Uh, all right. So, of course, here you are in college. Uh, can you tell us like your um, moments in college up in um, Rochester? Yeah. So the the fortunately for me, my roommate uh, from freshman year, uh, he had started training in Shotokan and uh, he was talking it up through the fall semester and saying how much uh, how what a great experience it had been for him. Um, and he invited me more than once. And I decided in the spring semester to join him at, in uh, the University of Rochester Shotokan Karate Club and started training. So that was my first training experience in the martial arts. Yeah, I know. Definitely. I'm probably like more familiar with Rochester nowadays because I always like drive up there because, um, of course, I'm a pro wrestler. I'm, I'm on an injury list right now, but, you know, I go up there for like wrestling shows and, you know, I don't have to use um, Matt Quest or anything to get up there because I know how to get myself around there. It's like it's easy pickings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. So going into the martial arts. So what was your one interest that kind of kept you going um, to do martial arts? Oh, I, you know, it, it, that's an interesting question because uh, beca I continued to train in, in Shotokan while I was at undergraduate. And then when I went on to graduate school, I, I found another Shotokan club 
uh, near where I was attending there at the University of Pittsburgh. And um, I, I think what I, I liked about it was the athleticism involved, I guess, the gymnastic aspects to it, just using your whole body, not just, you know, unlike boxing, where it would, I would be focusing a lot on my upper body, you know, we were doing kicks, we we're doing punches, but we we're also doing these like, you know, um, uh, specific ways of stepping. I just found that all very intriguing. Um, I, I vaguely imagine wanted a black belt, but I had actually don't recall that being really the reason why I continued to pursue it. Sadly, I guess, because I didn't have a very strong internal reason for continuing with martial arts. Um, when I, uh, didn't really have a good experience with the, with the instructor, uh, in Pittsburgh, I stopped and uh, I wouldn't pick up martial arts training again until I was trying to find a martial arts school for my son uh, in 2001. So uh, I, I stopped training for about, uh, I guess, or, or training with a master for like eight years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for, I could like tell you from basically what, what I learned from my style, of course, my style is Korean based. And I know Shotokan is um, Japanese um, style, but yet they have so similarities. And, you know, I kind of have a liking into like Shotokan because I see all these katas that are similar. And, you know, the one kata that I actually did for like the when I uh, competed in um, Vegas was um, MP. Yeah, I got a, I got like a total liking in that kata. It's like mostly if the moves of the kata are like similar to what I do in like uh, my style. And, you know, but it's like the difference in stances and how you do the technique. But that's the thing that's interesting. It's like this is like one thing I can at least um, learn how to get better with um, the style. So, I mean, yeah, I'm knowing that it's not part of my style, but, you know, it's me trying to explore other styles to get better with my own style, at least have an understanding of what, what I'm doing with my techniques. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, part of this book I'm writing is, which is about a really clarifying how uh, we, I have students training in Mizuchido is, uh, looking at those katas which as mentioned before this is a derivative of ishinru um and i would still call it ishinru if it wasn't for some i guess fundamental emphasis emphasis changes as you mentioned like different systems of martial arts emphasize different things and and it seems that i'm i'm choosing to emphasize things a little differently that said a lot of the curriculum remains and would appear to anybody who studied Ishinru to be very familiar, very similar. I'm not going that far afield otherwise in a lot of the content. But looking at katas, as you mentioned, I think the, the wonderful instructive thing about them is to consider what are the techniques that they are having you perform and in what way? Uh, how are you accomplishing these things? And I think that that's where all the different systems will vary and what, where they, how they think they should accomplish things and what they should be emphasizing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. You know, and definitely one um, guy that I'm thinking about as you're talking is um, Ian Abernathy. Of course, he's very known to do like, uh, um, was it, uh, man, 
bunk bunkai. That's it. <laughs> yeah, the bunkai. Yeah, it's like I'm trying to think of the words like bunkai because you know I took a couple of seminars, and you know he's trying to explain like what are you doing in this kata, like what what are you actually doing. So it's always nice to like teach these students like not only the moves of the kata, it's like what are you actually doing when you actually doing the kata. You know, Absolutely. you could be doing, you may be doing. Yeah, you may be doing a block, but you could be doing a throw or you could be doing a break or you could be doing a strike. So it's right. really nice that I actually, when I teach these students, like I give them an understanding of why we do this katas. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, we definitely move around with these questions because, you know, you pretty much mentioned like your mindset after the first class, you wanted to continue your training. And of course, uh, in this case, um, you know, you were, you were trained in Shotokan, and of course, you went on to go into Ishinru, and definitely what that's, uh, how, how would you compare Ishinru and um, Shotokan? Would you say they're similar or different in some kind of way? Well, you know, Shotokan and Ishinru are both karate, um, so they are, they have their origins in Okinawan martial arts. Um, Shotokan, uh, uh, because th that that system was chosen by the Imperial Japanese to uh, become their hand-to-hand -hand combat system, um, became very standardized and structured. It also seemed to emphasize techniques that would potentially uh, severely disfigure or kill your opponent with a single strike. Um, and Ishinru... Um, stayed a little bit closer to its Okinawan uh, um, ways of thinking, and uh, and so has a lot more of a both a hard and soft and linear, but also circular. So uh, somebody looking at Ishinru might actually see greater flavors of uh, Chinese gung fu in it more so than you would if you looked at Shotokans. Yeah, Mason. No, I look at all these movies, you know, people are so interested in the action of the movie, but they never actually look like deep into like the whole meaning of the movie. Like, like, for instance, uh, the Ip Man. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, those are like good movies and, you know, but actually paying attention and actually getting in depth in the movies. It's like this is how things were years ago. It's like you have somebody like that's proficient in one style and yet a uh, country takes over their um a country takes over and then next you know they have to learn another style mm -hmm. and in this case you know you say i mean i'm not gonna train this style i mean i but let's just say they say they want to stay in um they want to train in the style they were training but yet they have to convert to another style because mm -hmm. um that certain country didn't like the style that they're training but yet that movie really emphasized like you know, you have a choice of what you want to train and nobody has that choice for you. So right. that's amazing. That amazing that they make these movies. Like really, it's like kind of like you, if you don't want to read a book and that's like, they just read, they're just reading a book for you. And then you just like, they just a complete understanding of um, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Can you, um, can you tell us like what's your favorite moments or moments uh, training the martial arts? Uh, well, I can tell you now my favorite moments are actually being an instructor. I, uh, um, you know, I, I know one of the questions you prepared me for was like, you know, who inspires me or what, or if there's any quotes, perhaps. Uh, and I, I'll tell you, um, for myself, uh, very much influenced and inspired by uh, the thoughts of Bruce Lee. Um, 
And, you know, one of the things he has a couple different quotes uh, that your listeners could probably look up on their own. One of them that, or a couple of them get at this idea that he didn't believe that we should as martial artists uh, codify our, our martial arts systems that he felt that if you stopped growing, if you tried to fix things in place and say, this is the way it's done, uh, your martial arts sort of dies. Um, he believed that it should constantly be growing and evolving. And if you look at him, like, you know, how he was influenced by all sorts of different systems, uh, standard boxing, but also dancing and a lot of other things where he was changing up and even challenging how Kung Fu and I guess his origins, uh, Wing Chun, are, were practiced and taught and uh, and came up with his own system, which he then also sort of like was a little bit leery about having anybody set it down in stone. And of course, once he passed, it did get sort of set down in stone. Um, but, you know, you could just knowing from his most famous quote, the one like be like water. He didn't just mean that uh, with regard to your physical engagement with people and or challenges. He also meant mentally that you should be like water. Um, and, and that's, and that is something that's very much influenced me. And so when we do our training, I'm prepared and very open to the work with any student, uh, leading me to further evaluate and, or even possibly change how I consider, um, performing martial arts. Like one, one of the, you know, this is maybe not the best example, but I had a, a student who, um, we're talking about use of, of parrying. So one of the major differences in, in Mizuchi Do is that we have uh, a real emphasis on uh, what could be referred to as two-handed blocking, that we don't just rely on a single hand in front of us to, to accomplish a protection of the, of the middle zone, high zone, or low zone attack, but rather we, we're going to put our other hand in, our offhand or, or the chambered hand, uh, into work uh, uh, to provide parrying in addition to the standard block of the other hand. Um, and what this student said to me was when I, I was saying, okay, so you're going to, this middle parry is going to go basically across your chest. Um, and, and then you're going to put in the standard middle block. And, uh, and she said, well, I can't because of the way my body shaped to actually bring my parrying hand across the chest like that. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, and you know what? Now that I think about it, uh, it'll be more effective as a parry if we go sort of diagonally out and away from the chest uh, and intercept the, the striking hand of the attacker sooner. And so that was, uh, that was a, an innovation that just comes from being open to, to change and or new ideas I mean, it's a subtle change in how you're executing the parry, but it goes from, I think, being a very abstract and aesthetic way of handling a parry to a much more functional one. And so I've really enjoyed uh, that both in the in the training of basic techniques, as well as when we've gone through kata and and my students ask me, what is this move doing? How come we're doing it like this? Uh, this is supposed to be a throw. I'm not getting how this will work as a throw. So we look at it and we change things accordingly. 
Yeah, amazing. I, I can pretty much agree with um that quote with um be like water with um Bruce Lee. But also I also remember the one quote he said, the usefulness of the cup is its emptiness, mm -hmm. which is also a great quote. And when I think about that, you know, you come into like uh let's just say you come into a Christ studio and you got a cup that's already full. I mean and then you got to at least um, have all these other flavors um, put in the cup. And next, you know, what happens to the cup? It overflows. It's like you're just going in there. It's it's useless if you're going to like bring in a full cup in there. But, you know, you have to always have an empty cup and willing to drink whatever is like basically everything you learn is almost like a nutrition for your mind. Mm -hmm. So when I think about it, it's like if you're just going in there with a full cup, it's like you're just like wasting your time even going in there, just drinking whatever knowledge you're are gonna take so it's always best when you're going into like like for me when i go to the conventions like or mostly like um competitions or even in this case if i decide to go to the festival that's coming up mm -hmm. and uh you know i just want to go in there empty cup i want to at least get better with what for my style and you know i don't want to pretend that i know everything you know i just want to just go in there and learn help me get better with martial arts so yeah. in that case yeah yeah that's the uh, best so, yeah. advice for anybody studying anything but yeah i would say since we're talking about martial arts absolutely that i think it's it's good to know that you're going in especially somebody experienced and trained and accomplished that you have a full cup and if and uh and you need to know that when you enter that workshop you're gonna have to empty that cup out and try to like accept fully whatever it is they're trying to tell you yeah, definitely. All right, so Gabe Bob, come. We're gonna get into that festival later, but um, I want to talk about your first black belt test. Can you like you have any memory of that um black belt test? Yeah, I do. I have a lot of memories about that one. Um, my my favorite memory was actually after the the promotion was completed. Um, you know, I've always been told, even when I was back in Shotokan, that my uh, what the Japanese would call kime, which is could be called focus, but it could also be sort of like fighting spirit. It's always very strong. I, I have a lot of yang to my personality, and and so a lot of what I do appears very fierce. And what my master said to me at the time, um, Master Jim Spetkovsky at Westerner Karate Center, he said, "You know that was excellent, Sensei." Uh, I am very proud of you and and uh, your performance and your promotion. But uh, as you continue to train and move forward, uh, I, I'd like I'd like you to consider less killing uh, and possibly more <laughs> more submission holds and uh, and uh, less less lethal uh, conclusions. And what he was referring to, like at the time, I just uh, um, when I was demonstrating my self defense techniques when I was. Uh, demonstrating my the results of my bunkai analysis of kata, uh, I generally was coming up with very um, sort of like life ending conclusions to my actions, and uh, so I I didn't realize that I and and I guess that was uh, that's the nice thing about Ishinru. I don't know about many other systems, and I think what he was trying to remind me of is that we train in joint locks, we train in strangulation holds. Uh, we train in throws. In other words, we train in a lot of other ways of managing a crisis with an individual than, than having to end their life, that we could knock them out. Um, we could just immobilize them. 
uh, you know, so it doesn't always have to be about killing. And that's, that was, that's highly memorable and something that I've maintained to this day that I, you know, I, that my response to an attacker should be consistent with the threat level of their attack. And most people are not going to attack me with the idea that they're trying to take my life. So I certainly shouldn't have most of my defensive training be about how to take their lives. Um, so that that's very been very memorable and very influential on me since since I got my first degree. Yeah, Mason. And also just thinking about what you were ta- talking about, another uh, martial arts that I had on my show, uh, Andu, uh, Ando uh, Mezera. He's he's also from Western New York, and he's um of course I think he lives in Western Virginia or uh, Massachusetts. But uh yeah, I actually catch one of his um posts like on Instagram, and he did mention something about judgment. It's like if you're in a self defense situation, you know you have to make the right judgment to either save a life or take a life. But in this case, if you're just if your goal is to go home after a hard like a long day at work and you know you got that one person preventing you from getting home i mean one thing you don't want to waste your time with that person you want to like get them out of the way and worry about going home i mean you want him to go about his business you want to go about your business you know you don't want no trouble like you don't want to think about the trouble. You don't want to have any um bad intentions of hurting somebody. So mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, I can get like what you like when you're doing. You know, we call these um like one steps, like in our style. Like somebody throws a punch at us, and we gotta do like sort of um series of techniques, and then from there we can um end up with a takedown and with a submission hold. Okay? and yeah, it's um yeah, it's just so with my students or with my style, yeah, that's like more what we have to do, we have to have control of the situation and not make it a fight. Right. I think, you know, there's a couple of things there. One is that uh, I think it's your responsibility as a martial artist uh, to not be a thug uh, that you are training like you're training to have ideally striving for the ultimate in control of a dangerous situation, which means you're going to be making choices for yourself and for your attacker, uh, understanding that your attacker might be coming to you from a position of being intoxicated, or they might be coming to you out of a space of desperation, or they might be coming to you because they're just highly agitated. But none of those things, meaning that the, that they should suffer a loss of life as much as they might be taking actions that could seriously jeopardize yours. But you're as a martial artist, you have a responsibility to train to a level of control and and understanding that you can you will dictate the outcome of that engagement. Um, And like you said, even if you're for the most part thinking, I want to get home and be with my family at the end of the day. Sure. If that means that the only way this is going to end is by ending that other person, so be it. But the the reality is in as a a martial artist, you're going to be disciplined and just try to, like you said, do enough so that you get home, but not doing more than you have to, uh, or, or certainly nothing regrettable, uh, uh, to say the least. Yeah, usually when I um, actually teach my students, I always tell them, like, what's your mindset when you, what, what's your mindset when you come to self-defense? Is it like, what are you going to do when you get home or am I going to make it home? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, they're getting out of places like out of school, out of cl- like um, out of the store or even from their friend's house. 
you know, even though they, they have their parents driving them, but, you know, they have to be like the eyes and ears for their parents. You know, their parents is not going to pay attention to everything that happens. Like when they, once they leave that door, it's like, you're, that's your mindset. It's, am I going to make it to like school? Am I going to make it to like a certain place? Am I going to make it home? Mm -hmm. So it's like, before you even think about what you're going to do and when you get home, you got to think about like certain situations, like, even like uh, somebody driving crazy, you know, that's just outside the martial arts um, category. But yeah, you know, they always people out there that just drive like, like maniacs pretty much. And, you know, you got, you got to have your eyes open for everything. And yeah, just to be ironic, you got to watch out for the deers. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be watching out for those deers really, really well, you know, even in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, so let's kind of get into your um your dojo. Like, uh, what was your um concept in like creating that? Like, what what's the what who gave you pretty much the idea to um do your own dojo? Was it your own or somebody said, what do you think about doing your own dojo? Yeah, I'd I'd always imagined uh, maybe having a dojo once I was retired from my regular job, um, and uh, what happened was that um. I had a part-time job with the VA and uh, nationally they closed the department that I worked for and decided to give that work to contractors. Um, and a friend of mine saw that on my Facebook and said, Hey, uh, now that you have some hours freed up in your life, I was wondering if you would um, train my son in, in karate. Cause I've always watched you and I've admired your ability and I, and I'd like him to learn from you. And I was like, okay, why not? You know, I was, I was, I was like, you know, in a moment of transition where now I had um, about 20 hours freed up in my my life uh, every week. And uh, I trained his son a couple of times and he said, just, you know, I, I had a property. Uh, I have a property that was going to go to uh, a certain business, but that that arrangement's fallen through. Uh, what do you think about opening a dojo? And I was like, well, this is a little bit early. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not prepared to run a dojo right now. I'm going to wait till I retire. And he said, well, just come by and take a look at the place. And, and TJ, it, it was like my dream. Uh, this, this uh, dojo is located right next to a park. Um, and, and, and in fact, right next to a, a Ellicott Creek. And uh, it just in, integrated with nature and a lot of the, philosophies that I had uh, about training and working with people uh, that I was like, well, this is the ideal setting. I can have them train in, in outdoors uh, and, and get used to using their self-defense techniques in a place other than a square room on flat floors. Um, and, and then uh, the other piece of this school, this dojo was trying to name it. And I remember looking at it and, you know, struggling with it, uh, what exactly I wanted to call it. And, um, and finally, uh, the, 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 the gentleman who is serves as a landlord, but also has become a student of mine, Howard Cadmus, um, the owner of our neighbor, Sweet Jenny's, uh, he said, well, what do you, just, what do you want to call it? And I said, well, okay. You know, the, uh, the sound of the creek and the and the look of it just reminds me of a water dragon, and so I really want to name it 
the water dragon school and and that in in Japanese, if we're, since I'd be teaching karate, that would be a, a mizuchi. A mizuchi is a water dragon, and uh, and and I thought it was also kind of cool to like uh, and have a school that's name uh, translates to the the school of the dragon, really, to put it simply. So I thought that was really awesome. And um, and and then uh, Howard paused for a little bit. We were messaging back and forth about this dojo name idea. And he goes, oh, you mean like this? And it turns out he has a tattoo of a Mizuchi on his shoulder. Uh, yeah. So I was like, okay, I guess that's it. That's the name of this school. Um, and uh, the, uh, yeah, I guess the rest is history. So we opened that up. Uh, we opened up the dojo in the midst of the pandemic on February 1st of 2020. So uh, we just completed two years of being open. We're going into our third year of operations. Um, it's a small school. My my training floor can handle maximum ten students and myself, so that's like eleven people total. Um, and so it's a it's a very different training ethic where you you can go to a lot of martial arts schools and they can usually accommodate twenty to thirty people on their training floor with multiple instructors. Um, I just I can't do that. So that's you know that's fine too. That's what I want because then it allows me to talk to more of my students, observe them more directly, give them feedback. But it's also turned into a thing where uh, all the students have developed a, a good supportive uh, attitude towards one another and they give each other feedback. And as I mentioned earlier, they feel free to ask questions of me and and uh, and really personalize their training. So it, that's all been a part of the great experience uh, of, of for me in martial arts is, is really this school. Yeah, and kind of think about like the training in martial arts. You know, I um did a previous episode. I was talking about uh, like, do you think um martial arts training should be at home should be mandatory? And yeah, in this case, I say yes and no. I mean, yes. I mean, one thing you're teaching them a lot of things um in life. You know, teaching about like organization, organizing, like uh, planning, and um, of course, obtaining. Like, you want to earn like your work. And pretty much other stuff. And I say no, because you don't want to turn into work for them. I mean, you know, they got other stuff, school, sports, you know, and of course, family stuff. And, you know, when I tell my students to train, it should be at least a minimum of two to five minutes because you're just training on what you're lacking of in the class and getting better. I mean, I don't want them to make it think of it as a workout. I mean, Mm -hmm. the workout is for actually class only. But when you're working out at home, or training at home, it should be a minimum of two to five minutes. I mean, you're just building those muscles and um, pre-prepare. Well, usually I tell my students, it's better to prepare for an opportunity when you don't have one versus having an opportunity and not being prepared. And, you know, I tell these students, like, you're, you're preparing for class every week. And usually I know the, the students that don't train have trouble with the same things. I tell them, like, you, this is what you need to get better. But yet some of the students like you can't blame them if they have certain like medical or mental condition you know i don't like to say disability you know i kind of get rid of that word i say condition like or limitations so like everybody can learn but you know everybody has their like limits of how they can learn yeah i I refer to them often as challenges versus like disabilities or disorders yeah yeah yeah, it's probably a better word to um, describe it. All right. Yeah. So let's kind of uh, get into like the, the 
martial arts festival that you're a part of. Uh, I know I was talking to my uh, instructor about it. He didn't have much information of uh, what that festival was. And, you know, I was like kind of like looking at it when you're on like see your page, and I was like, I was it kind of seemed interesting. So, of course, can you like talk about like you're I know you're involved with it. You're one of the instructors doing it. So, can you like talk about that? Yeah, it, it, thanks for asking about it. Uh, I'm very excited to be a part of the festival. It, uh, where that came from was that uh, uh, Datu Tim Hartman, and Datu sort of is a Filipino word that means grandmaster. So uh, Datu uh, Hartman is a grandmaster of Filipino martial arts. I think he's like the authority in the world at this time for his system. And um, he, he had been organizing these festivals uh, in prior years, but uh, like many things with COVID, it it, uh, sort of fell off. Um, And so that's why I think this is the fourth one, if you look at the uh, posters for it. Um, But it's been several years. And where this came from was that for myself, as after I opened the school, um, I, I had enjoyed both when I was training in Shotokan but then later on in Ishinru, going to not only tournaments, which are often competitive, and uh, and and that's about all that occurs there. Like you can compete in a variety of different categories of martial arts, but it's competition. You do learn something, but it's not exactly that's not exactly the point. Um, and but I've also gone to festivals and or or weekend retreats on martial arts. And um, I always found those very invigorating, as you said, trying to like take my cup, empty it out and fill it up with something else for a little bit and see how maybe I can integrate that into what I already know and do. And so I used to go uh, to the Saratoga Martial Arts uh, Festival in Saratoga Springs and um, more recently. And I was I thought Western New York. Uh, with all the different martial arts schools we have here, all the, you know, highly trained people, masters, grandmasters, that uh, Western New York should be offering one. And uh, so I approached uh, the local group of uh, martial arts schools and said, what do you think about Buffalo having a festival? And Dr. Tim said, well, we used to have one. As a matter of fact, I've organized in the past. And so that would be great if you want to help us organize one again. So uh, myself and several other martial artists in that coalition said, yeah, let's do it. Um, and what this will be um, for anybody who hears your podcast um, is a, a series of workshops, 30-minute workshops uh, led by local area grandmasters and masters of a variety of different martial arts uh, not only, obviously, uh, Datu Tim with Filipino martial arts, uh, as you mentioned myself, with this uh, Ishinru variant, Mizuchi-do, but also there will be Taekwondo uh, masters and uh, such as I think, um, oh my gosh, um, you might have, I don't know if you have the uh, poster in front of you, but if I was to... Yeah, I think I know a couple of the people that are, I know there's... Uh... Uh, Robert um, Heisner. Yeah, because I know yes. I'm familiar with him. Yeah. Grandmaster Heisner, um, I think he had his origins in Taekwondo, but he's come up with his own system um, as well. Uh, but yeah, so there, there's a variety of different um, uh, masters that'll be there. And 
uh, when I'm looking at the, I'm just trying to pull up the poster, so I apologize because I don't want to mispronounce anybody. Um, ah, there we go. So yes, yeah, so you've got Grandmaster Heisner. Um, he also he does Budokai, I think, and then you got Master yeah. Charles Garino. So that's Taekwondo. Yeah, I'm familiar with him too. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, we got um, Sifu Charles Whitborn. So that's Kung Fu. Uh, Master Todd Patterson. He's originally from Taekwondo, but he's created something of his own uh, system with Pride Martial Arts, where he gets more MMA going into it. Um, and then just not to leave anybody out, there's Hanshi Hillman, uh, Shihan Pinkman, uh, and Sensei Guida. So uh, Taekwondo, um, Kempo, uh, a variety of different martial arts will be represented at this workshop. And anybody who uh, signs up and to participate, uh, every 30 minutes, they'll have the opportunity to sample um, what different martial arts styles considered to be a valuable skill. So I'm very excited. It's just, you know, how often do you have that opportunity to like be able to get a just a quick sampling of a different martial art and say, is this something I might want to incorporate in how I do my martial arts or no, now I know what they do and I'm not, I'm still not interested, <laughs> but you know, hopefully you come out of it feeling, getting, gaining a new respect and interest in all the martial arts. Yeah, it's like like I was saying, like in the beginning, like um, I'm actually look like actually trying to learn um these Shotokan katas. Like, of course, I've done learn how to do impi. Then, of course, I um came across another kata, um, Jin, of course, uh, uh, J I I N. So yeah, that was like a good good kata to look at because it was it's similar to the kata that I learned um Jian, of mm. course, uh, J J I O N. So. That's like good. So it's nice to actually learn about this festival because, you know, I go into tournaments and I see people doing these katas that are similar to mine that, you know, it's just I have the urge to go and talk to them and say, like, what was this kata called? It's like it's similar to mine. It looks amazing. And of course, yeah, that's the thing that we kind of like miss, miss out in this area because it, it's like ever since the pandemic, we never had like the tournaments like Smack Internationals and of course the Super Grams. But those were like uh, competitions to look at. I mean, I wish they would come back with that. But um, nevertheless, um, of course, I don't know if that's going to ever come back. But, you know, nevertheless, I actually go to these competitions and actually sometimes compete and actually watch. And, of yeah. course, it's nice that I know that there's like a festival that I can actually um, be a part of. I mean, yeah, but I know it's just not an option, but it's just like a like a not a mandatory option, but it's, you know, it's just it's something that I could be interested in. You know, mm -hmm. like I said, with me being prepared preparing myself for fifth degree, you know, I could just actually do this like for my performance if I am selected. So whatever I get out of this festival, it's like I can actually use in my performance. Mm -hmm. So it's actually nice to actually so when when is this festival again? Oh, okay, sure. Um let me pull it back up. So this, the Buffalo Niagara Martial Arts Festival 4 uh, will be on April 15th, and it runs from noon to 5. Uh, if, you, if you purchase a ticket um, before April 1st, it's $40, and after April 1st, it's $50. Um, you can find out more by going on to www.horizonmma.com. Um, because that's where it'll be located at Horizon Martial Arts, which is in West Seneca on uh, 280 Center Road. But um, yeah, so that's when it'll be held. And and as mentioned before, during that time from noon to five, 
there will be nine different workshops of about 30 minutes each with a short break in between. Oh, amazing. So yeah, I might just check, I might check that out. So hopefully I can register before April Fool's Day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Why not save some money? And uh, I, I think uh, I would say too, what would be ideal for most students, I would think, is that uh, is to have, bring a buddy with you to like, you know, to find somebody else you train with or and and invite them to go with you because obviously martial arts is an interactive thing and so there could be um different elements to these workshops where they say okay find a partner and uh and uh we're going to do this technique together and uh it would be nice if you knew your partner already i, I certainly would say that for any young people planning or th- interested in going they they definitely should go with a partner already in mind so they have somebody who they could work with, who's like similar stature, similar age, you know, similar place in their training or so, so that they could get more out of the workshops. Um, But uh, yeah, like uh, for myself, my plan is to um, instruct on um, the concept of Hikate. So I'm going to be doing, um, showing people a couple of different uh, training tools uh with the emphasis on a, a routine uh that i think kung fu stylists would refer to as flowing hands and sticky hands um so that's that's what i'll be doing with regard to um, my workshop and so you'll definitely need a partner for that one because flowing hands occurs between two people um yeah, I mean, even if I don't find a partner, I mean, I don't mind going alone, but I mean, I'll work with anybody. Yeah, so, and I'm sure there'll, yeah. be, there'll be enough extra adults there that people can like just find partners of the different people that come to participate. But I would say, particular, I think for young people, it'll be important for them to come with a partner because obviously they're not going to want to be paired up with a random adult. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right let's kind of get into like the superhero superhero alliance uh stuff sure. so um where did you come across that like uh did you create that or that was like something you took over great question um yeah the super alliance was uh basically proposed by uh, the general manager uh anthony sprague of the of the buffalo bisons um baseball team and um he originally did that when he was, I think, uh, in promotions um, and special events. He came up with this idea. He came up with the idea of Star Wars Night, uh, which is a, a very popular event at their stadium. As you know, most baseball teams have these specialty nights to try to bring in fans and bring some more fun into the evening. And uh, after the success of Star Wars Night, he thought we should have a superhero night. And uh, and he reached out originally to this uh, Star Wars fan group called the North Ridge and said, would any of you be willing to dress up as comic book characters and do a sort of similar show uh, based more on comic book like characters? And uh, and so I was I was one of a bunch of um, local area customers or cosplayers who uh, were addressed and um and I, I joined in that way. It sort of like joined this activity as a participant on a very like limited way. But then we started saying, you know, we should become an organization. 
and so there was a lot of talk and uh, and in meetings and um, and I was elected by my peers at the time to be the the president of the group. Um, and as we continued forward, we said, you know what? Um, and and with the support and encouragement of the Bisons, um, we proceeded to organize to a degree and attain a nonprofit uh, status. So we're a 501c3 organization, um, and the primary mission of the Superior Alliance of Western New York is to provide support to organizations that uh, focus in on the health and well-being of children. So, um, you know, we we do appearances, um, uh, so for example, at, at uh, Children's, Women and Children's Hospital, Roswell, um, We've done appearances of fundraisers for children who are suffering from um, significant illnesses and their families were having difficulty uh, raising uh, the funds needed to to get that uh, done. Uh, but as you mentioned, we it, we don't just stay with those types of uh, organ, uh, events and organizations. We, we will do appearances uh, for children's birthdays and then we'll do fun things like, um, like for example, we're going to be appearing at the Regal Walden Galleria uh, on February 17th for the premiere of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So we'll be there with high quality costumes, uh, basically like film accurate costumes, uh, not only from the Ant-Man series, but from other Marvel Avengers uh, type of um, characters. Uh, Yeah, so it's been it's been great. I've been involved with them since 2015. Yeah, amazing. Like, uh, of course, I, I enjoyed doing cosplay. You know, the last, um, of course, uh, uh, Comic-Con I went to was Fan Expo in Toronto, of course, a four-day uh, four event. And that's, like, amazing. Like, unlike the Comic-Cons I've been to, like, of course, I've been to, um, uh, of course, uh, Nickel City uh, Comic-Con, Niagara Falls, uh, Hamilton. And, of course, I go to Fan Expo. Unlike um, the other Comic-Cons, this is, like, a big big comic-con it's like you walk around you hardly have no room to walk but <laughs> nevertheless you have like so many good like cosplayers um celebrities you know yeah i looked at like you we got mutual friends that are cosplayers so yeah and uh i, I like the joy going to this it's like this is like my guilty pleasure so yeah, yeah that'd be like a that'll be a uh question i'll ask you later what your guilty pleasure is but yeah <laughs> it's like i work a lot i work a lot of hours throughout the week and you know i have to like have some fun so in this case, I I actually go either wrestling shows or comic cons, and you know I wish I would have had to go gone to um the Hamilton Comic Con that happened um this year, but I um injured my knee, mm-hmm. so I mean yeah. that was um yeah. But luckily, I know if you didn't already know, uh, Buffalo Comic um not Buffalo Comic Con, a uh, Nickel City uh, has been. Uh, the ownership and running of that has been taken over by the same people who do the Niagara Falls Comic-Con. Um, oh. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're going to bring it, they're going to take Nickel City and bring it up to the level of, of uh, what, what they were doing up in Niagara Falls. So that that's very exciting for Buffalo to have like not only Buffalo Comic-Con, but also Nickel City Con. Yeah. The great thing about the Nickel City Con is like, I actually got to meet my childhood um hero, Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah. That was like, yeah, it's like my friend friend actually um messaged me on Facebook. It's uh it was like, yeah, have you met this person yet? And it's like it's Hulk Hogan. And I was like, <laughs> I went to save my money like for the photo op. And then next you know, I'm in line and um yeah, it's like it's like a dream come I just go in there, take the picture with him. It's like 
I, I wish you could actually have a chance to talk to them in the photo op, but you know, you don't, but yeah, it's no. mostly when you're, yeah, and I, when I was there, I saw his um, autograph table go from like hit the starting line to like somewhere like almost the exit doors. Yeah. 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 So that, that you're right, though. I think the nice thing about Nickel City is that it tries to be more like a standard like New York, New York City Comic Con, or as you mentioned, Toronto's Fan Expo, where they bring in like high level guests um, and give you those opportunities to meet your childhood heroes. Uh, and that, yeah, that was an amazing one. I remember that. Um, when we when Nickel City was occurring before the Super Alliance was in charge of running their uh, costume contests, and so uh, we were there throughout the day uh, helping people uh, process and uh, be able to participate in that. Um, yeah, it was always a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, definitely. I can't wait for Nickel City. That's like um, the week before I um, actually go to like the convention, the night, uh, the Las Vegas convention. So yeah, hopefully I can make a couple appearance there because I know the rest. Uh, you're, yeah, you definitely are one uh, friend of one of my uh, my my wrestling promoter of Nickel City Wrestling. Uh, of course, Shadow Cat. That's what he calls himself. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, definitely I'm a wrestler for the, him. So yeah, you might catch um Nickel City Wrestling um. Um, of course, handing out um, um, posters for the uh, wrestling events. So, yeah. And, of course, I'll be making my return in the fall. So once I get healed, yeah, my character will be back. Yeah, TJ Cards, the video game warrior, be back. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. All right, so we're kind of gone, moving along real good. So, yeah, let me ask you this. Um, who do you look up in this journey? Oh, like uh, that I've met who's inspired me. Yeah. Who you look up to. Um, wow. I, you know, like I, I said, in some ways, um, the, the person I really am inspired by was Bruce Lee. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess intriguingly enough, uh, also Jackie Chan, uh, a lot. Um, and, uh, certainly I, I'm very influenced by my master, Jim Svetkovsky, but also his, um, Hunchy Ed Binkowski, um, were very influential in how I think about how to, to engage in martial arts and were very supportive in me and my journey. Um, so I would say at least from a martial arts perspective, those are the people I, I most look up to, um, but like I said, in, in, some, uh, in some ways, I, I've been able to find even greater inspiration in the students I work with. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, uh, you always find inspiration, like somebody famous, and then, of course, somebody that trained you, and yet, somebody that you actually trained, you find the inspiration, like, to actually look up to. Mm. So, yeah, I ha yeah, I have that same um, feeling, though, I got somebody famous, and, of course, I have somebody that really pretty much raised me. You know, I have my um, master instructor. I, I consider him my karate pops. Mm. So, yeah, he, was, he pretty much looked out, looked after me pretty much after 26 years of martial arts. So, and, you know, I also have other instructors. That's the, and pretty much the instructor I started with, I mean, he's the reason why I got my new job because mm. he had worked the same company. So, yeah, it's like you develop that trust with that person that you've been around with for like so many times, so many years. And it's like, your life kind of gets better when something comes up and, you know, that person looks out for you. So it's always great to look up to that person. Mm -hmm. Agreed. It's nice to have somebody who can guide you. Like I said, I had a bad experience with the, 
with a master um, way back when. And that did sort of sour me to training in martial arts. Uh, I'm, I'm just glad that, you know, when I when I went and uh, started uh, to find my son a, a martial arts school that uh, th- I was able to uh, relight that flame in myself. And, uh, and it's certainly taken me in a direction I'm very happy with. Right. Uh, definitely amazing. All right. So of course, before we get to our uh, like uh hidden dojo segment, here's the last question. I know you mentioned that, um, you had um, Bruce Lee inspiring quotes, but you can you think of any more inspiring quotes that describes your journey? Uh, no, I'm thinking his, I, I can give you those quotes uh, specifically. Like, so here's one, and that, that's this one I've actually applied in a lot of different ways to my life, but also when I think about um, martial arts and even putting forward my own system. Um, Bruce Lee once said, if you always put a limit on everything you do physically or anything else, it will spread into your work and into your life. There are no limits. There are only plateaus and you must not stay there. You must go beyond them. Mm, yeah. I heard that quote. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the thing of, I like about Bruce Lee. He's just a great philosopher and yeah, it's like really he could come up with some type of quote and people have no idea what he's talking about but really a person that actually has like goes in depth with that really understands like what he's actually saying it's mm-hmm. like that's that's the thing i like like about philosophy it's like you make things so like mysterious but next you know if you understand like actually get a full photograph in your head of what he's talking about it's like yes this is what he's talking about yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, and I usually, I usually tell my students, limitation is nothing when you believe in yourself. Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, was just, and, and like I was telling this other guy um, who was who was struggling um, with, you know, learning a kata. And I said, you know, I know you're going to make, you're going to get this. And all I need is for you to believe that too. Uh, the, you know, the only thing that stands in the way between you and success is yourself and whether you quit or whether you persevere. And uh, that's that's really the only difference. Yeah. You know, I always try to uh, work with my students and not make them quit. I mean, I always like try to find out like what they're lacking. You know, that's the thing about like trying to get away from technology. I mean, technology is good, but, you know, you don't want to get too hooked with technology. The next, you know, you just want to get hooked with that phone the video games and you know everything else is like why why i bother i just want to get the video games <laughs> yeah yeah uh, all right ladies and gentlemen we have reached our um hidden dojo segment of the uh, uh interview so this is what we're gonna learn the fun parts about um bill um reynolds so here's some seven questions for you and of course uh you're answering them in the best of your ability right, so you ready for this i'll do my best all right. The first question is the best piece of advice you ever gotten and who said it? Uh, the best piece of advice I got was from Master Ed Binkowski, where he told me that for as, as strong as that I, I am uh, with my technique, uh, that I, in order to make martial arts into a lifelong pursuit, I needed to uh, become a blend of both hard and soft as well as um, 
straight and circular. That was the best advice I ever got for my training. It's really highly influential. And I, and I credit it as to why I'm, you know, I'm now 40 years into my training and I see no reason that I'll ever, I'll ever be stopping. I'll do this to the day I die. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, this is the one quote that I got from my art teacher. I mean, is go beyond what you know. Mm. So yeah, it's like, just don't go by what you like know about what's to, like today's society, like kind of go into like the past of like how things were you, how things were year, years ago to like really learn about what, how we do things today. So it's like, you're kind of jumping into like a time warp and kind of learning like what's happened years ago and comparing it to what you're doing now. So yeah, I can really understand that uh, really you got to get like the traditional side of uh, martial arts versus what we do now. Like, of course, you know, it's kind of silly that people would tape their fights and put it on YouTube and, you know, people would know how you fight. And next thing you know, you know, that's just like the worst way to look at it. So the thing says, if they know how you fight in YouTube, like you have to change your style. So when they actually fight you, they they think that you're fighting the way that you they saw your YouTube. Next thing you know, you trick them. And then, mm. yeah, it's like that. I I really tricked you. <laughs> yeah uh, all right here's the next question a lot of people don't get this one but uh the worst advice you ever gotten huh. you know I, I i think if there was uh a, a piece of bad advice i got was um that i should wait until i retire before i uh i open up a a, a school um that that was the probably the worst advice I've ever heard especially now that I did go ahead and open it anyway and just what a reward it's been um not definitely not a a, a cash cow this is not the, not the way to riches uh but it, it's it's been so rewarding in every other way yeah, I mean, really, I mean, if I was to open a studio, I was, I'm not going to wait till I'm like in my 60s to retire. I mean, likely if I can get one open by my 40s or even like 45, I mean, that'd be something that I probably would want to do. I mean, I'm not going to wait till like I'm retired and like, there's nothing to do. So, I mean, I'm going to find something to do. Definitely. Mm. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is what I mentioned before. The next question, um, guilty pleasure. How do you reward yourself? Mm. Yeah, you know, for me, uh, my guilty pleasure is playing video games. I, you know, whenever I do it, I'm like, oh, is this really the best use of my time? Uh, but it, I, I have so much fun with it, and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I haven't. I allow myself to 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 have that time once I know I've done everything else I need to do. Um, I'll sit down for a couple hours and and enjoy um, a video game. And I'm trying to get myself out of retirement. I mean, really, um, of course, uh, I like that, like the classic video games. You know, I have my Pandora um, arcade uh, mm. uh, box. So, yeah, I got, got that when the pandemic happened. You know, that was like something that I liked. I like the classic video games. And the fact that you are bringing the arcade home, you don't have to worry about wasting quarters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I know that feeling. 
man, I, I mean, yeah, you got to make sure you play the game well so you're not wasting a lot of quarters. So, yeah, I mean, probably the, like the most arcade game I was good at it was Mortal Kombat 2 because I know the trick how to beat people and mm. I didn't have to waste too much quarters. <laughs> yeah. All right, next question. Uh, what famous movie would you like to be in? Oh, you mean a martial arts movie? Well, pretty much any movie. Oh, geez, any movie? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, I guess, although it wouldn't end well for me, uh, I would love to be in Aliens. That was just a, such a great story setting. Uh, you know, the fact that I would be murdered by aliens, because uh, only, you know, none of the Marines survived, but I would love to have been a colonial Marine in Aliens. That, that, that was just uh, such a fun movie. Yeah, I mean, my favorite one was uh, Resurrection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I met one of the actors actors in that movie, uh, the Resurrection, um, Brad Dourif. Yeah. Oh, Brad Dourif! Wow, great! What a great character actor, right? Yeah, the voice of Chucky. It's like mm-hmm. I actually got to meet him as well as uh, uh, Andy Barkley, uh, Alex Benson. Yeah, that's like the second time I actually met him um, at a comic con. It's like I, I had my autograph uh, picture I had with him. And then, of course, he gave me uh, like a a photograph or I had a picture with him for free. So, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, same thing I had with Ray Parks. I mean, I drew a picture of um, Dark Maul. He gave me an autograph picture for free. And, uh, of course, I had to take a picture. Yeah, you know, uh, those Ray are great Park, celebrities. Amazing. Uh, did, did you know that like Ray Park, you know, as, who was an accomplished martial artist, uh, that, you know, he his... Uh, portrayal of Darth Maul, you know, strikingly influenced how uh, lightsaber combat would go from that point forward um, because of all the martial arts he incorporated into it. He, like to this day, you can like come up to him at any con and, you know, if you have a a weapon of some sort, you can throw it his way and he will just do stuff with it. Uh, if you go to a con and you you happen to come across him in the hotel bar or what or a local thing, he'll sit down and drink with you and talk with you like a regular guy. He's uh, just superior. I can say this, though, too. If you treat him like a jerk, um, he has no reservations about uh, treating you horribly in return. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for that, too. Yeah, it's like, I, of course, I know he did a lot of tricking. You know, I used to do that. that I enjoy his B-twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like the amazing thing. They do. And when I'm watching Star Wars, I try to imitate that. And then, of mm-hmm. course, when I actually got it right and I actually showed him a video of me actually doing a B-twist and like he gave me tips of how to like get better with it. So mm-hmm. it's like, great. All right. So um, secret talent. Hmm. Secret talent, huh? Uh, well, uh, as it turns out, I I guess I have a secret talent for acting. Uh, It's not so secret, obviously, because I've been in a a bunch of independent films, uh, usually more lately uh, playing the, the aging, uh, martial arts master who dies. (laughs) But, uh, I've been other characters as well and very proud of my performances, but, uh, not something that everybody knows about me. Um, my my favorite performance was actually uh, as a character, uh, uh, my version of Red Skull. Um, I, I really uh, enjoyed it, and uh, and when I saw the uh, the final product, I was very proud of um, the performance that the director got out of me. It was uh, really nice. 
man. But yeah, it's actually nice for me to be in the movies. But actually, I was in like a local movie. Uh, saw Smart Marks, of course, uh, wrestling. Th- I don't know if you saw that, but uh, yeah, it's it's on YouTube right now. But uh, yeah, I'm actually like in a couple scenes in the, in the movie because I'm a pro wrestler, like I mentioned. And, you yeah. know, I'm just like, I'm just there just doing my thing and just being, being pretty. <laughs> yeah. uh, nice. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I got a couple of them on on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, one of them was Diary of a Lunatic, and uh, the other one is My Neck. Um, you might like My Neck because it, it's uh, it's sort of like a live action anime um, with a lot of references to that style of uh, of portraying martial arts. Uh, yeah, that sounds like uh, ironic for a name, My Neck. <laughs> my Neck, yeah, it's hilarious. It's a comedy. <laughs> uh, all right, dream, dream celebrity encounter. You know, I had one, which is I, I got to meet Donnie Yen, but if I, I, I would say that, as mentioned earlier, if I had any uh, martial arts celebrity uh, I would want to meet, it would be Jackie Chan. I, I have a lot of admiration for that guy. Yeah, it's like all the movies he's done. I mean, I definitely can admire his like experience with um like stunts and uh, all the injuries he's gotten. And um, of course, uh, actually having on his own stunt team, which is amazing too. Because I seen like a documentary. He's like he mm-hmm. works with a stunt team. Yeah, and the yeah. fact that uh, yeah, he's great. Like, and he treats him like family, as I'm sure you saw. I mean, that's that's part of why I like him so much. There's a lot of humility to him. Like, I think he's the first action uh, hero to to portray himself getting beat up. Like, he doesn't like just is isn't perfect, and uh, let alone his uh, you know his, his, how he would show his creativity and all these sort of like um, you know found weapons uh, uh, that he would uh, do within his movies. Uh, just amazing. The imagination, the creativity, the humor, the humility, um, so much about him to love. And he's the yeah, singer. That's, I guess, his sort of secret talent. Yeah. And one movie that comes to mind is um, Big Brawl. Yeah. Huh. It's like, I, yeah. I, I enjoy watching that movie. It's like him and, um, of course, uh, yeah, he's him, like, fighting um, all these other guys. And, and it's like, he's, like, amazing. Mm. <laughs> All right, here's the final question. Uh, 10 years from now, where do you see yourself? Well, 10 years from now, uh, I will be in retirement. So I imagine I'll be more, uh, not full-time with the dojo, but I'll definitely increase the hours. Uh, I'll probably offer daytime classes since I'll be available during the daytime in addition to the evening ones. Um, I, I yeah, I, I, that's where I want to see myself is still helping people uh, in their own journey of the martial arts and helping them find their their personal style. Uh, yeah, amazing. I'd definitely probably like to see you like on Facebook or even in the news, like definitely you're progressing well with your um, dojo. All right, so you. before we kind of cut out, uh, is there any last minute words you'd like to say to the listeners out there? I would say sort of like what you maybe you were implying earlier that um, martial arts is really for any human being. And it, it whatever your age and what, whatever your physical challenges are, mental challenges are, I, I think it's it's not only a great way, of course, to learn how to defend yourself in this life, but also how to more in a more healthy way, get with and through this life with other people. 
I, I just think uh, everyone should look at the closest school to them and consider becoming a member there. Yeah, amazing. Hey, thank you very much for giving your time uh, for, uh, today, Bill, because uh, definitely it's been a wonderful experience. You know, it's actually nice to actually meet somebody that's in the same area as I am. You know, it's amazing. So hopefully I can actually make it to that festival and at least learn from some of the, uh, the guests that we got. Well, TJ, hey. I hope to see you there and I, and I look forward to seeing you in the future. All right, amazing. So I'm going to do my little final uh uh, is our my end, end to the show. Hey, all right. So for those who are just uh, joining me for the first time, please uh, tune into my previous episodes on uh, BICBPRadio.com, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another episode here at the Kickpod Podcast. This is your host, TJ Williams, bowing you out.